you're tired, I see it in your eyes. All that anxiety that rules your mind. But I'll be a shield when you don't feel like you've got strength enough to fight. I'll stand by your side. I will carry you through your darkest night when you're terrified. I will carry you when the waters rise, when your hope runs dry. to hide the parts of you that ache. And I choose you as you are a million times cause I am not ashamed of you. I won't walk away from you. Welcome each and every one of you to East Hillsville Baptist Church this morning. Whether you're here uh, live or online, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us. want to say happy birthday, America. Aren't you thankful to live in America? Are we not blessed? We're so blessed. So very thankful. Um, I think it was Wednesday night or maybe it was the Wednesday night before, uh, the week before, I told our church, you know, when, we, when you hear people kind of complain about our country, most of those people have never been somewhere else. And if you have the opportunity to go to another country and spend time with regular people, right, like us, and see how blessed we are here in America, 
uh, I think it would make you have a little more gratitude for the country that you live in. And I want to thank our military personnel who keep us safe. The reason we have, we have freedoms that other countries dream of. We're so blessed. Just the fact that you can come to church and feel safe, is that not a blessing here in America? A lot of, a lot of countries are not allowed to do this. When we went to one country, and I won't mention it, but they, they would not allow you to share your faith on the street with somebody. We can do that freely here. We're so blessed. So please don't ever take your country for granted and the freedoms that you have. And be thankful that you live here and, and support your country. Do we have flaws? Of course. Does your family have flaws? Yeah, mine does too, but I'm not leaving them, right? I'm so thankful for them. So be thankful for the country that you live in. Be thankful for our little county. We're so blessed to live in Alexander County. And be thankful for your church. Amen. Don't ever take that for granted. Uh, I want to give you an update. I talked about our building fund last week. Well, after we paid uh, down some money from the bank and from the check and made our payment, this is what we owe as of right now on this building. We owe $123,960.38, which is a blessing. To, if, if you understand that this building came about because a building committee started meeting on a Wednesday night in 2006 or seven. And then all this came about, and then we, I remember signing the loan uh, back in 2000, I believe it was back in 2012, 2013. And then to be where we are now, I mean, I'm just so grateful. So we're looking at hopefully paying this building off by Christmas. Uh, we want to encourage you to give. I try to give every week. I try to tithe and then give to the building fund and or Lottie Moon or whatever, okay? So we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we're so thankful to be where we are and do all the things that we've done ministry-wise and mission-wise. So thank you for giving. Uh, we don't take that for granted, and I hope you don't as either. And I'm just so thankful to be pastor of this church. We're such a generous church. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, this morning to stand up and just for a few moments just to look at your neighbor and welcome to East Hales Baptist Church this morning.
Good morning. You know, when we were talking about freedoms, as a child growing up, as a son of a veteran, my dad kept his uniform in our cedar chest, and I always wondered what it was about. My dad was a disabled veteran, and uh, I think about all the battles he went through, all the major battles, and the price that men and women pay throughout the years, that we can celebrate our freedom. Then I think about our Savior for the price he paid, that you and I might be born again. I had the privilege to go into the hospital Friday and Saturday to visit a man who is maybe not a Christian, and I got to share faith with him. His name's John. I'd like for you to invite you this morning to help me pray for John. And you might know somebody in your family, in your life, that doesn't know Christ. They don't have that freedom that you and I have. I want to invite you this morning to come and pray for people who need to know Christ. Would you do that this morning? Would you come this morning and join me in prayer as we pray not only for our nation, but for those that we love and care about that don't know the Lord? You come this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love this morning. Lord, I pray for Kathy Jolly and her family, the passing of her stepfather. I pray you'd comfort them this week and continue to comfort them in the days to come. God, your grace is sufficient. You promised in your word that you're the God of all comfort. You would help us through life when we lose those we love. But Lord, we don't lose them when we know where they're going. And Father, I pray for them, you'd bless them and meet their needs. I pray, Father, you'd be with John in the hospital. Lord, as we shared faith with him this week, Lord, as he's heard the gospel over and over again, I pray that he would be saved and born again. Only you can touch his life. You know where he's at. And, Father, there's so many people that we know and care about. They might not know you this morning. They, they might not understand the freedom it is to have Christ living in their life and to walk in him and to know you. And, Father, we pray, Father, for the lost people in our community and our families, that you would speak to them. That's the greatest freedom that we'll ever have, is knowing Christ as our Savior. And, Father, we want to thank you for that. Thank you for the price you pay. And, Lord, thank you that we can celebrate Independence Day. Lord, that we can celebrate our nation, Lord, that we we're so grateful for. A nation that's, that's been founded on you. And, Father, help us to realize, Lord, we're not here by chance. We're here by your grace, by your sovereign plan, and we want to thank you for our freedoms today. And, Father, this morning, I want to pray for someone that I care about this morning. I pray for Charles. I pray for help and for healing. I pray for encouragement and strength. Father, we thank you for our church home and our church family. I pray you bless them this morning. Meet their needs. Father, we love you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for loving us and for giving us the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jeff and Amanda. That was a blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we've been going through a series called Questions and Answers, and the question we're going to answer this morning is, what is conversion, or what does conversion look like? And when you think about conversion, what does it mean to be converted? And, and then you've got to ask yourself this question. Can a person change? Do people actually change? Can a person be born again? Does a person... Can a person go from being just a spiritually depraved, lost, ungodly, they may even be kind and generous, but they're lost. Can that person be changed? Well, the Bible unequivocally says yes, and I think the greatest picture of that is in the first chapter of, of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there and stand with me, we're going to read all ten verses. The Bible says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God Inside of our God and Father. Now, just stop right there for a moment. Paul says you have a work of faith, a labor of love, and you endure in hope, which is if you, if you study the history of this part of the world at that time, that's amazing because they were the only people in Thessalonica that had that. And it was so transformative that the word of these people went throughout that part of the world. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now notice that word received. That's something you do. Okay, We're going to talk about election, but also we're going to talk about what you do, what you're responsible for. You're responsible to receive the word. That is a choice you're going to make today if you're, if you're not a Christian. And that you'll be held eternally responsible for, for your whole life. To receive the word. Notice that word receive. The word Paul used is amazing. It puts all the responsibility on the hearer. When I was 20 years old, I received the word. I received it. I, I accepted it as, as truth, and it changed my life forever. Has that ever happened to you? So you can be a member of a church and you can have a religious sense about you and you can know terms and words, but have you personally ever received the word? You must do that yourself. It's not something you can do for your children or your grandchildren or your spouse. You must do that for yourself. It's an individual thing. That word received is individual. He says, so that you become examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. And this is what he's saying to this church. You're just sharing the gospel. It's amazing what he's saying, really. 
not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we have to you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, I'm looking at people who are either converted or not. Conversion is a spiritual term. It's something that you do on the inside of us that we can't do for ourselves. So, Father, I pray that as the word comes, that the Holy Spirit in power would touch people's hearts and lives. Father, only you can do that. Father, only you can save. And then, Father, on our end, I pray that we would turn to God from idols, that we would receive the word with joy, that we would be born again. And, Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that we'd never take it for granted or this time for granted. And, Father, we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Notice here the first point I want, want you to notice is this, the need for conversion. I'm a map guy. It'll help you. Now, we remember when, we, when we pre, I preached a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Holy Spirit led Paul. Paul wanted to go here. Okay, If you read 1 Peter, Peter talks about these churches here. That's where Paul wanted to go. And God said, no, the Holy Spirit stopped Paul and said, you're going this way. Right in here, he picked up Timothy. He and Luke, they started going up through here. They go to Philippi. You remember that? He meets Lydia. She's a businesswoman. And, she, and she's using her business. Actually, she's a God-fearer. And then Paul explains the gospel to her. She becomes a Christian. And she uses not only her intellect, this lady did, but her business to fund the gospel. An amazing woman. And then Paul is cast into prison. And he and Paul and Silas started singing at night. And a great earthquake came, and the Philippian jailer came out and he was going to kill himself, right? And Paul says, sir, don't do yourselves no harm. And the Philippian jailer says this. He asked the greatest question that could ever be asked. What must I do to be saved, to be born again? Isn't that a great question? And Paul says, believe on. Pretty simple, is it not? This is something you got to do, Mr. Jailer, is you have to believe on Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Place your faith in him. And then Paul, he takes Paul and Silas to his home, okay? Paul speaks the word to his home, and the Bible says they all got baptized. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Paul meets up with a uh, demon-possessed slave girl, shares the gospel with her, and there in Philippi, okay, you have a church started with a, a businesswoman, a religious businesswoman who was lost, a suicidal Philipp Philippian jailer, and then a demon-possessed slave girl, and he starts the church. But they run him out of town. Now, Paul is unfazed. He is undaunted. He is not ashamed of the gospel. So he goes to this amazing city here, Thessalonica. See where it's located? Uh, historians will tell us at that time they had great highways. The gate where Paul walked through from here to here is still there today. Isn't that amazing? He walked through it. And this was the home of about 200,000 people. It's multiracial. A lot of people would travel there because of the seaport and the highways and do business. It was the New York City of its day. A tremendous place. And Paul sees this place, okay? And he sees a tremendous opportunity to start a church. And from this church here, you have the spread of the gospel in this whole area from here in Philippi. It's amazing what happens. 
And what, Paul, and what Paul does is he does not get unfazed because of what happened here. The church is still there. They just kicked him out of town. And Paul says, I'll leave. And when he left, he goes here. 200,000 people. And the Bible says what he does is he goes into the synagogue. Notice verse 5. This is how Paul explained it. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. That word is dynamite. See, that's something that a preacher can't bring. You see, a preacher can get emotional, and there's emotion to the gospel. A preacher can do all these sorts of things. We can show videos, we can do drama, we can do all that. We can have a smoke show, right? But the preacher can't bring to power. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. That's the word for dynamite. And in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now notice how he does it in Acts 17. It tells us how the church starts. Then Paul, as was his custom, went, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer. So Paul goes into Thessalonica and he says the best place to start is in a synagogue. Okay? And in those days, the synagogue for the Jewish people was where they went to church. It was also a place where they had recreation. It's where they met with other like-minded Jews. Gentiles would come there okay? because Thessalonica was so spiritual, but they were lost. They believed everything these people did. They allowed the Jews to worship. Some of them thought they were weird. Some of them says, I, I agree. We're just going to add this to my other list of gods. But when Paul comes into the synagogue, he takes the Old Testament, and he starts talking about Jesus who rose from the dead historically. And Paul reasons, look at the word, reasons with them. He says, let's talk about this. Let's be logical about this, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about Peter Pan or Batman. I'm talking about Jesus. And he says, this happened in Jerusalem, and I came. God saved me. I was a, I was a Torah observant rabbi, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then I found the truth of the gospel. And he takes the Old Testament. And, and most scholars say, when you went into the synagogue, you could stay all day. And they said, Paul probably stayed all day talking to people about Jesus. Okay? And he reasoned from the scriptures, let's talk about this. Okay? Well, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think Isaiah 53 is about, he would say? That's the Messiah that's coming. What do you think about this passage or this passage? Psalm 22, is David talking about himself or about the Messiah to come? He says, I'm telling you, Jesus quoted that verse on the cross. That's what he would say to them. And the Bible says that many God-fearing Greeks were persuaded. And many of the prominent leading ladies in Thessalonica were born again. Three Sabbaths he spent teaching and preaching the word. And this, this was his message. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And what Paul would tell the church or the people in Thessalonica is this. I know you're very spiritual. You worship everything. You got a God for everything. You can't add Jesus to your list. Jesus demolishes your list. So how do you, how do you witness to a Muslim? You tell them who Jesus is and tell them your Jesus is wrong because our, the real Jesus died on the cross for our sins, bore my penalty and yours, bore God's wrath and rose from the dead historically. And we place our faith and trust in him. Now they would say, no, he didn't. He's just a good teacher. No, you're lost. Okay? And, and let me tell you this too. I've talked to people in this community for years. And sometimes a person will come to me and they'll say this, I've realized for the first time Jesus was a real person. I'm like, that's great. 
and they'll say, I'll say, when were you saved? And they'll say, back in, you know, VBS or whatever. So who'd you place your faith in? If you just now realize he's a real person, you've never been born again. You can be born again today, though, because you placed your faith in the real Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. This Jesus whom was crucified, he rose from the dead, he, said, he told them. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's God in flesh. And faith in him alone saves. That's what it means by reason. He said he would explain it. Look, he would explain it, then he would demonstrate it. He would illustrate it. That's what Paul did. He would reason, explain, and demonstrate from the Bible. From the Old Testament, actually, is what he had. And then Paul would share his own testimony. Listen, I was just like you. I didn't believe it either. I hated Christians. And then God appeared to me. And he gave me the, the ability to think and understand, and I was born again. See, the need for conversion. Listen, <clears throat> no, there's no salvation apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's none. So when you share your faith, you don't have to be timid. You don't have to be arrogant. Don't do that. You speak the truth in love. But do not, do not ever water down the gospel. It's the gospel that saves. Hey, listen, it's not emotionalism that saves. It's a person going like this. I believe the message. I was 20 years old. I was a decent student. I mean, I had a brain. And I understood this is the truth. This is the truth, and it is true. I must give my life to it. And that's what this church did. So much so that it changed everything about them. Thessalonica was a spiritually dark, morally depraved, sexually perverse, idol-worshiping bunch of lost people. And Paul says the answer for this is not a homeless shelter or a food shelter, even though that may come later. It's the gospel. And he says they need to understand this Jesus, we will not, we will not compromise who he is. He's not a moral teacher. He's not just a good example. He's God in flesh. He's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. If you don't place your faith in that Jesus, you're lost. You're lost. See, the need for conversion, everywhere Paul went, that was his message. Oftentimes, he would go into the synagogues first because he had an audience, and he knew they were lost because they did not place their faith in the resurrected Christ. So you see the need for conversion there, number one. And then the second thing is, what is the evidence of conversion? Okay, notice what the Bible says. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now, listen to what the, I think it's the NIV or ESV says. It says, for we know brothers loved by God. Now think about that. Beloved brethren or loved, loved by God. That's an amazing thought. It's an amazing phrase. Love by God. Now think about these people in Thessalonica. And I think what Paul would say is this. If you feel less than, if you feel alone, hopeless, discouraged, unloved, you're loved by God. For God so loved the world. That word world means the unredeemed, rebellious, spiritually depraved, Spiritually blind, morally depraved people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Loved by God. You're loved. We are by nature without any awareness of the gospel. By nature we don't seek after God. So this phrase is amazing. That those that are saved who are chosen by God are loved by God. It's one thing to say, I love God. It's quite another to say, God loves me. The tense that Paul uses is written in such a way that it means a continual, daily, never-ending love for you. Now, for a moment, don't think about the world. Think about you. Think about you. 
I remember the first time I flew in a plane, it was a month after 9-11. That was crazy. And I, can't, I don't like flying. I don't like being a passenger in a car. I trust my driving. I don't trust yours. It's kind of like I trust my dog. I don't trust your dog, okay? And I definitely don't trust your cat. I've never been in a home where a cat didn't try to attack me. I'm, I'm serious. I'm up in this plane, right? And we're just, I'm just like nervous as, as I can be because I'm not in control. It's like when I'm a passenger in a car, I just can't stand it. I've got to drive. We get all the way to the top 30-some thousand feet, I guess. And I remember looking down at all these specks. I mean, it was just a man's like, look at that. And I told my buddy, I said, look. And I said, isn't it amazing, out of all these people on this planet, that God loves you? Think about that for a minute. God loves you. He loves the world, of course. But he has a different love for his children. That God loves you. And what Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, he says, beloved brethren, loved by God. Don't ever forget that. That God loves you. The God of the universe. It's kind of like the first time I prayed on October 30th, 1990. I remember I, I never prayed before. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Y'all prayed that, didn't you? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. He should come before I wake. Pray the Lord my soul to take. That's what I all knew. Okay. And then as a 20-year-old, I prayed for the first time in my room. Cut the lights off on my knees. And my hand goes up. I don't know why. Because I was praying to the God of the universe in Jesus' name. Because God knew all about me and loved me anyway. Beloved brethren, loved by God. What an amazing phrase that Paul uses to describe these people. He says, you're loved by God. It doesn't matter how you feel, you're loved. Listen, if you sin really bad, you're loved. My spouse left me, you're loved. I have cancer, you're loved. I can't pay my bills, you're loved. I feel worthless, worthless. you're loved by God. A lot of spiritual discontentment and discouragement and depression comes from bad doctrine. You're loved by God. He knows all about you, past, present, and future, and he says he loves you. By using this phrase, he leads us to another word, the choosing of God or election. Now, that word causes a lot of debate, but let me tell you, Paul didn't use this word, and Peter didn't use this word. John didn't use this word. They all used it. Jesus didn't use this word to start a theological debate. He used it so you would understand how much you, God loves you. It's a word that can cause a lot of confusion, much debate. Denominations are sometimes based on this word in its meaning. The, the Baptist faith and message says this about the term election because it's all over the Bible. Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means and connections with that end. That's what it means. So regardless of whether or not you're a Calvinist or not, the biblical truth is you've been chosen for salvation if you're saved. Spurgeon said this about election. If God would have painted a yellow stripe on the backs of the elect, I would go around lifting shirts. But since he didn't, I must preach whosoever will. And when whatsoever believes, I know that he's one of the elect. Election means, in the Greek, it means a Jewish term for chosen. It means to pick out. It, listen to how God used it in the Old Testament talking to Moses. And he said, Moses, tell the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord your God has chosen you to be, his, be a people for his own possession 
out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. He said, I didn't do it because you were bigger or better. I did it because I did it. One scholar put it this way, most Christians don't seem to have any problem with the fact that God chose the Israelites, even though they proved to be no more deserving than any other nation which God did not choose, like the Amalekites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or the Perizzites or the Hittites or the, or the Moabites or all those other mosquito bites, but he chose the Israelites. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, I want to remind you something in John 15, talking about abiding in the branch. You didn't choose me, guys. I chose you. That's what he said. Matthew 22, Jesus said this, For many are called, but few are chosen. Luke reminds the apostles they were chosen when he writes in Acts. He says, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus also, during the Last Supper, says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Think about Paul's call to ministry. Paul understood this word well. Paul, God tells Ananias, he says, go to Paul, and here's why. Lay your hands on him, baptize him. He says, here's why, in Acts 9. Go, Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. This is my plan for Paul's life, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's what he did. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, that would be tough being on the nominate committee, saying, I want you to teach this class. They're going to hate your guts, and you're going to suffer every day you teach. Nobody's going to do that. But that's what he told Paul. Listen to how Paul used the word in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica in his second letter, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. To the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1, he says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's what the word election means. Paul writing to the church at Colossae, Put on then as God's elect, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. To the church at Corinth, he says this, But God has chosen, there's the word, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God loved you before the world was made. That's an amazing thought. And only because God convicts us, enables us, can we think about placing our faith in Christ. This is biblical. Lost people are not knocking down the door to come to this church, are they? I mean, those doors aren't locked as far as I know. And lost people aren't trying to knock the door down. This is what I'll hear when I witness in Alexander County. I'm not a sinner. I've heard that. I'm like, really? Did you read your last Facebook post? I'm just kidding. I've, I've heard this since I've been here. I don't need a Savior. Ah, uh, Jamie, Jesus is just like Peter Pan or Batman. Thor, Zeus. I've heard that. I don't believe in God. I've heard that. Or this is the best one. I'm a, Christ, I'm a Christian because my mom and dad are. I was baptized as a baby. I think I'm good. What can change that in people's lives? Only God. 
This, this thought of election didn't pop, stop Paul from evangelizing. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says this, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of the elect, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul said this, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. He didn't know who the elect were. And he lists some of the things in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, because I've been preaching to you, he says, I've been in need. What that means is this, the bare necessities, many times he didn't get them. That's what he's saying. He says, in distresses, in narrow places. He says, because of you, I have emotional depression to the breaking point because of my faith, because of my, my uh, ministry. In tumults is a word he used in the Greek. That means to be tossed to and fro by angry mobs. Listen, when Paul preached, there's no less than 10 rights that broke out when he showed up. If Paul believed everything God was just picking and choosing, and it's nothing that we do, why would he go through all that? Doesn't make sense, does it? But he still uses the word. Charles Spurgeon said this about election. If God had not chosen me, I surely would never have chosen him. Tony Evans says this, God elects some to salvation for his own sovereign purposes because he is gracious. The invitation to salvation is generously open for all, and whoever will still may come. Charles Stanley put it this way. He says, the Bible says God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He doesn't spend 49 pages trying to explain that. He just says it happened and that's it. That's about the way you look at it. But the Bible does affirm human responsibility right alongside the doctrine of divine sovereignty. In Isaiah 55 and Revelation 22, there's one theme that says this. Whosoever will can be saved. Isaiah 45 and Acts 17 God commands all men to turn to God and repent and be saved. In 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Peter 3, the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but desires that all be saved. Finally, the Lord Jesus says this in John 6, The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. The apostles used the word elect to bring comfort, not to start a debate. And what, what he was trying to tell these people is this, God has loved you from eternity past and opened your blinded eyes to the truth of the gospel. He's not going to stop loving you. The world may reject you, but God has chosen you forever. What a beautiful word election is. One of the most beautiful words in the Bible. So they were chosen. They were also working. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, you labor in love. Look, at that. this is amazing. The Greek word for labor means... This is how one scholar put it, the manifestation of their love. This word refers to laboring to the point of weariness, sweat, or fatigue. Genuine love is willing to go the distance, even the point of exhaustion and weariness. Now listen, you take these people who were so probably thought about themselves and their families and didn't think about anybody else, and they're saying, these people are loving everybody. Something's happened to these people. Something's different about these people. John put it this way, he says, you need to love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. A labor of love, he says. Paul unpacks the essence of love by showing how it's absent nullifies even the greatest Christian virtues. You can't fake love, people. Listen to what Paul says. He says, if I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. That's an amazing statement. He says, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, give my body to be burned, in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Where there is no love, it does not matter what we say, it does not matter what we know, it does not matter what we do. 
This is how vital love is to the Christian faith. And one of the evidences of their conversion was you took these mean-hearted, mean-spirited, selfish people and they labored to the point of exhaustion for others because they loved them. Verse 3 also says they were patient in hope. The world does not have hope. The lost do not have hope. The Bible says the righteous has hope in his death. That word hope means an unshakable confidence in the Lord regardless of how hard they struggled in life. William Barclay says this, A man can endure anything as long as he has hope. For then he's walking not to the night, but to the dawn. When I was at the Alexander County Prison, I remember the warden saying this, Preacher, the most dangerous man in this prison is the one that has no hope. The most dangerous man. And he says, some of these people, apart from Jesus, don't have hope. They're never getting out. We always keep our eyes on those people. Do you have hope? Not only that, were they chosen, they were working, but they were changed. Notice this verse on the screen. This is an amazing term. How you personally turn to God from idols. Look at that word, turned. These Greek words mean, mean a lot. Now listen to how one Greek scholar put it. That word turned is the aorist tense pointing to a definite crisis experience. Stop. When, 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 when a person from this church shared the gospel with me, he says, repent of your sin. The first sin you repent of is being lost. Repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus and follow him. I had a crisis point. And I understood that I couldn't keep living the way I was living and loving the things I was loving. I had to turn from my idols. And that's why many people will not be saved. They have a crisis point, and they love their sin more than they love the thought of following Jesus. Bottom line. That's why Paul makes this list. He says, you're adulterers, fornicators, all these things, idolaters, drunkards. And he says, you choose that life over Jesus, even though you know it's the truth. See, it's a crisis point. It's in the aorist tense pointing to a definite crisis experience and the indicative mood, which indicates such a change had truly taken place. It really happened. And the active voice indicates that the conversion was a consequence of a deliberate choice on their part. Now listen to this. It was not forced on them. Hard to reconcile that with election, but it goes right together. That means nobody's making you do this. You have to make a choice to do it. To turn to God from your idols. To complete, see, you don't add Jesus to other faith. You just, Jesus abolishes your faith. Look at that word from idols. That means from or away. It means you break a relationship that you formerly had. The word from up there in the Greek clearly indicates that in turning to God, they had turned their backs on those idols and had separated themselves from any worship, any further worship of idol worship. Faith is not merely a belief, it's something that changes you. And not only that, but the message must be received. Look at verse 6. The Bible says this, And you became followers of us and of the Lord Jesus, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. That word in the Greek means to deliberately, readily, and kindly accept. It points to a definitive act of reception on the reader's part. And they received it with joy. Now look at the opposite of that. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica the second time, and he says this. He says, there will be people in the last days that did not receive, look at the Greek word, the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, that's the reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they might not believe, or they might believe what is false. Now look at the word receive, that they might be saved. 
It means this. It's built around an, an aorist infinitive that is in the passive voice. They, back at the time of their salvation opportunity, when they could have loved the truth, would have been able to receive God's great offer of salvation, but now they can't. David Jeremiah says this, I believe man can sin and sin and sin and reject repeatedly the grace of God until he finally, in his rebellion, in hard-heartedness, sends away his day of opportunity. Genesis 6 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Jesus stood before lost King Herod, who was asking for some miracle, and Jesus would not even speak to him. And this is what he says, I believe when Herod... I believe Herod had crossed God's deadline when he killed John the Baptist in such a despicable way. Jesus spoke to one of the thieves on the cross, but not to both of them. Today is the day of salvation. Be careful about playing games with God when God convicts you. Be careful today if you hear his voice, the Bible says, do not harden your hearts. Today, that's something you do. You can blame God, you can blame the preacher, you can blame everybody else. But the reason you will not turn to God from idols is because you just love your idols just a little too much. And you'll say, there'll come a time in my life, listen to me, young people, I was going to get saved when I was 40 because I just love being 20. Just the bottom line. I, it wasn't that I did not deny Jesus. I just loved sin. But God got me to the point to where I had to turn to God from idols. And that's where many of you are today. And you're going to play with that to the point that there's going to be absolutely no conviction in your life and it's going to be your fault. And then notice the last thing, the outcome of conversion in verse 8. This is an amazing statement. And from you, this church, the word of the Lord has sounded forth in just a short period of time. They didn't have seminars. They didn't have church planning uh, conferences. They didn't have anything. They just loved their neighbor, loved Jesus, worked hard, and the Bible says that because of you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. That means to ring out. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, they didn't have social media, but also in every place. You guys are everywhere. Isn't that amazing? Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You guys are evangelizing that part of the world. Isn't that amazing? How that the outcome of conversion is I want other people to be converted. Do you realize, one, one, one business leader said this. He, listen to what he says. This is good for us. The danger of any organization is to lose sight of its reason for existence. This is especially true for the church. Do you realize that this year alone, 3,000 to 4,000 churches will close their doors this year? That's about 70 churches a week will close their doors. Why? Because they forgot why they existed. This little church had no materials, seminars, no YouTube videos, no DVDs. It just had the Holy Spirit of God and a changed life. And they went out begging people to be saved. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are God's ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, and we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled. Have you ever begged anybody to get saved? Have you ever just begged them, cried, pleaded, persuaded. Now, Paul, who penned the term election, what, 50 times? He says, I'll tell you what I do to people. I just beg them to get saved. Beg them, cry over them. Cry over them and beg them. I remember hearing John MacArthur, who's one of my favorite preachers, right? He said he had a, a high, I think he was a high school football coach, went on to coach uh, college ball, and he said, when the Lord really saved John, and, and God had to put John in the hospital before he'd surrender his life to Jesus because he's a good athlete. 
do I serve Jesus or do I play ball, right? It was a hard thing for him. And he finally surrendered to Jesus. He understood this need. If I've been converted, I want everybody to be converted, especially if you love somebody. And he said, I love my coach. I had so much respect for my coach. And he said, God would give us these little opportunities throughout time. You know how God does? And he'd just beg his coach. Coach, why don't you give your heart to Jesus? No, 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 no. Just won't do it. John, that's good for you, not for me. They just loved each other, though, right? Then John gets a call. True story. His coach is in the hospital. He's near death. Listen to John's words. One day I got a phone call. Coach was in the hospital. He had heart problems. Surgery hadn't helped, and it looked like he was about to die. When I arrived at the hospital, the nurse said to me, He hasn't moved for three days. We haven't seen any motion, so I can't promise you anything. I walked in the room, took his hand, and said, Hey, Coach, it's Johnny Mack. He opened his eyes and smiled. I said, Coach, one more time, can I beg you to be reconciled to God? Can I beg you, Coach? See, if, if that's not your passion in evangelism, I just wonder if you got the real thing. See, the outcome of conversions, I want everybody to be converted, right? Especially if you love somebody. Even your coach who you respect so much. I can name every coach I have. I can name every school teacher I had. You realize I've been able to preach the funerals of former school teachers and lead some of my school teachers to Christ. God is just blessed in that way. Some of us just like John here. John's in there. He says, Coach, one more time. Can I beg you to be reconciled to God? Coach, this is what he said. This is John MacArthur. You're the thief on the cross. You have no future. This has to be your time. Will you open your heart to Christ? Then he said, Coach's head went up and down. And he grabbed my hand and started to squeeze it. He reached the other arm over and grabbed my other hand. He said, and I was locked in his grip. Said the nurse came in and said, Sir, you're going to have to let go of him. And he said, Ma'am, I don't have a hold of him. He has a hold of me. And then he said this. He said, He was responding to the call of the gospel. For all those years, I'd begged and pleaded with him right down to the last hour. And as we prayed together in the hospital room, the Lord poured out his forgiveness and reconciled the coach, my coach, to himself. I'm so glad I went to the hospital that day. I'm so thankful I had one more opportunity to beg him to be reconciled to God. If your theology, if your theology, listen to me. If you're listening on Facebook, if your theology does not compel you to beg people to be saved, then I'd crumble up your theology and throw it in the trash. Because if you're converted, one of the passions you'll have in your life is to see other people converted. Listen, can you share the gospel with people? Do you know how to share the gospel? Men, some of you can take apart an engine. You can put in an alternator. You can change brakes. I can't do that stuff. You change your own oil. You can skin a deer. Been saved for 30 years and can't tell somebody how to be saved. God help us. Ladies, you can sew a quilt. You can homeschool. You can teach your kids algebra. But can you share Jesus Christ with your neighbor? God help us, church. Learn how to share your faith. John MacArthur goes on to say this. He says, we ought to cling to the vital doctrine of God's sovereignty. But don't ever let your view of sovereignty overwhelm or obscure the fact that sinners have a responsibility to respond to God, and we have a responsibility to beg them to do so. That's from John MacArthur. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as they play softly, I want to ask you these questions. If you'll stand with me just for a moment, I'm going to give a long invitation. And here's a question I want you to answer for yourself, regardless of your age, 
regardless of your church membership. Let me ask you a question today. In the quietness of this moment, okay? Have you ever been converted? I'm not talking about join a church or get baptized. Have you ever been converted? I mean, your life has changed. Not that you're perfect, none of us are. Is there evidence in your life that you've been converted? If not, I would encourage you to be saved today. That's why I would beg you to do that. Have you received Christ like the Word says? Have you received Him? You opened up your heart and said yes. The night I got saved, I looked at the man that led me to the Lord and said, I've been waiting on this my whole life. That's what I said. Have you received Him? Have you turned to God from idols? Do you have some idols packed up in your closet? Today would be a good day to get rid of them. To turn from them, that's something you do. God's not going to make you do it. He's not going to force you to do it. That's something you do. And I beg you to do that today. After I pray, this altar is open for the whosoever will. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you can save us and change us. Father, I pray that we would be a church that would beg sinners to be reconciled to God. Father, what a good opportunity to bring somebody's name to the altar or right there where we stand. We don't have to come forward. Father, there may be some here today that need to be saved, to be converted, to receive your word, to turn to God from idols. Father, today I, I pray would be their day of salvation. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about a relationship with the God of the universe. Father, I pray that you would do this for your honor and for your glory. Father, you bless this invitation. I pray you bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Today, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus or you want to talk further about it, please contact myself or our staff. Wednesday night, we'll have, we will not have church because of the uh, July 4th uh, holiday week. And Justin has an announcement about VVS, and I'm going to turn service over to him now. Just real quick before you leave, Alyssa Miller has been working on our volunteer list, and uh, it's been printed out. It's going to be on the, the VBS table out here. If you don't see your name on the list, don't panic probably because you haven't registered so just go to the church website and register she's going to be out of town so she'll see those registrations come in while she's out of town okay so it has been printed out it's on the vbs table and also going along the lines of this morning's uh message i'm looking for two people preferably a male and a female we'll share the gospel while we're at vbs of course 
And we usually share the, the gospel when we're in the, the choir room, and then the students walk from there to the gym. So as you walk into the gym, there's a glass door there on the right where we have our middle school and high school classrooms on Sunday morning. If anybody wants to talk about the gospel further, we, we have them stop off there. So it gives them a chance to think about the gospel as they're walking. So if it's something that's really pressing on their mind, they're going to stop and talk. Um, so we don't actually give an invitation inside of the, the room while we're teaching the gospel. So I'm looking for two people that would be interested just hanging by. You may not have anybody to stop. You might have some kids who want to stop and talk more about the gospel. So uh, they may be, it may be time for their conversion experience. And so if you um, have not signed up for VBS and that's something that would interest you, I uh, just want to put that out there to you to, to be able to stop when kids stop, to, to be able to share the gospel with them uh, in a personal way there in the classroom. So that's the only two things I've got. Good? All right. Thank you, Justin. Just remember, VBS is like our revival. Uh, we'll have more people on campus uh, that week than we will any time in the year, also more lost people. So please take advantage to invite your uh, family and friends to come. And if you'd like to serve, you may not be able to serve all week, but please register and sign up and serve that week. God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday and hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thank you.